resident lighting specialist. Hey everybody, welcome to the new episode of Residential Tech Talks. My name is Anthony Elio, the associate editor here at Residential Tech Today. Today we are featuring a conversation that I had with Penn Gillette earlier this year for actually a cover feature that we did. We went through a number of different topics. We discussed places that he's lived in the past. We talked about his own favorite smart home tech. We even got into a video game that he had helped develop in the 90s. So I was really excited to speak with him. Without further ado, here is our conversation. All right, this is Anthony with uh, Residential Tech Today. How you doing, man? Hey, Pan, nice nice to speak with you. Hey, thanks so much for uh, taking the time for this interview. Well, thanks for wanting me. Absolutely. I know I've been um, kind of working with your people since I think it was E3 of last year. I really wanted to be able to feature you in one of our publications, and uh, this seems like a perfect fit, to be honest. Good. Wonderful. Well, you know, just kind of starting out, uh, you know, our magazine really focuses on home tech. And um, I know you're no stranger to living in kind of interesting architecture from the Slammer, uh, uh-huh. which I thought was really fascinating. Um, now that you're not there anymore, you know, what's your what makes your current home really unique? Well, you know, uh, I don't think, you know, it's just uh, I wanted to move to a place that was uh, more uh, conducive to my uh my wife and children being happy. So we're in a uh, uh, just a community where they can, you know, they can walk to their friends' houses and ride bikes, and all of which was not true in the Slammer, which was in the um, geographical center of nowhere. So we drove a tank through that, as you may know, and um, uh, then we uh, we moved here. And uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, the art we have on our walls is um, uh, eccentric. Uh, we have a, a lot of stuff by Tony Fitzpatrick, and David Greenberger, and uh, Elliot uh, Freeman. And uh, we have a, a huge statue by uh, Davy Alvarez of a, uh, of a uh, gigantic statue of a pink insect Buddha that looks over Vegas. It was done by Amazing Randy's husband, who's, uh, uh, I guess, still works under the name Jose Alvarez, although he... In day-to-day life, he's gone back to his real name, which is Davy. And uh, so there's a lot of art that makes the, uh, the place unique. And uh, we always, you know, um, my family are early adopters. So as my son said the other day to my wife, you're living a pretty good life when you don't remember which digital assistant's name you're speaking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like... Because the the tech of the home that was something that really like impressed me about the slammer when I was reading about it. Because I know you had a fourteen uh, seat movie theater. Yeah, yeah, we still we still have we have a theater in here that's very nice. But you know the the thing about tech that's so fascinating. You know, um, if you uh, bought a house that was that was built today. Um, you know, the tech in that house would be uh, would be greater than the fanciest mansion five years ago. You know, it's um, uh, we forget that that progress is so amazing that um, even um, even lower income people in the United States live uh, better than than any king did uh, 300 years ago. You know, um, just tech stuff like refrigeration, (laughs) you know, uh, uh, gas stoves, uh, all of that stuff. But um, so 
so the stuff that um, you know, the stuff that I had uh, built into my Bronco, you know, 20 years ago for self-starting and and window control and stuff like that is all um, you know standard issue on not just the Tesla, but uh, even um, even even a uh, you know a a, a non Rich asshole person car, you know. <laughs> um, and I know that uh, you mentioned, you know, voice assistants and kind of getting them mixed up. Is there one that you kind of prefer, or are they all kind of interchangeable to you? Uh, you know, I don't think uh, I don't think anyone has really nailed it yet. You know, um, we haven't really got you know uh, voice recognition being at ninety eight percent. Even 99% is uh, not nearly good enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we can't really relax. You know, if you, um, you can tell when, uh, when a person is um, doing uh, voice to text in their messaging. You can tell. And until you can't tell, it's not really there. And it'll move very, very quickly, you know, as processing power gets better and so many people are working on it. So the idea of a, um, you know, there's this wonderful moment in tech when all of a sudden it's not tech anymore. All of a sudden it's just part of your life. And um, when that moment happens, it's um, it's really, really wonderful. Like still, you know, um, uh, our Crestron is a, is a little glitchy once in a while. And uh, those kinds of things, until it feels exactly like pulling the knob and knowing the TV is going to go on. Um, as long as there's a, a lag there and a moment where you go, man, I hope this doesn't fuck up. <laughs> you know, I hope the, uh, the Internet's strong and all of that. And that gets so much better. You know, I mean, from the time we talk till the time you write this, tech will have improved an amazing amount. I mean, it's just the speed that we're going is um, is breathtaking. And also, it's pretty hard now, and this is kind of a wonderful thing, it's pretty hard now to be on the cutting edge. I mean, um, uh, I had a really good stereo in the 70s, and that stereo would not be uh, nearly as good as, uh, as anybody's iPhone mm-hmm. now. Uh, I'm also one of the people, although I have a turntable and I do have, you know, a couple thousand vinyl records, I am not one of those people who uh, who actually thinks that there's, you know, a, a big difference in vinyl sounding better or smoother or analog or so on. Uh, MTVs, uh, MP3s could certainly sound better, but I'm not quite in the Neil Young camp, you know. Uh, the compression, I think, more of the problem is in the um, engineering and less in the tech. But, uh, you know, I had fancy Dolphin speakers, and now really $100 speakers blow them away. You know, they were $1,000 speakers back back in the 70s. And, uh, you know, I have friends um, who I certainly won't say the name, but uh, I said to one friend of mine, you know, isn't it fabulous that everybody, has a complete library of uh, of all the great jazz records that we used to collect, and he responded, "It's 
not really enough for me to have something. Other people have to not have it. (laughs) (laughs) And that is not the way I feel. I love the fact that my son can type in Lenny Bruce to the um, Internet and have access to uh, records that I searched for for, in some cases, years, you know, and bought in, you know, separate little shops and bins and always looking for the, you know, the right Dylan bootleg and the um, the exact Lemmy Bruce performance I wanted from Berkeley, you know, the second show and um, and all of those things. The, the, uh, the fact that it's become so egalitarian is really the most important part of tech. I mean, the past, uh, well, the century really has been moving uh, as always is the case, but it's just been, uh, you know, the, the cliche that the average watch has more computing power than it, it took to get Apollo to the moon. That that cliche, that trope, uh, every time you think about it, is so profound. I mean, um, when you think of the uh, the computers in the 50s that, um, you know, could not touch, never mind the iPhone, could not touch... Uh, a uh, phone that has no features on it at all. It's, um, it's a pretty great thing. So it's very hard nowadays to be uh, an early adopter because the difference between an early adopter and an adopter is now measured in months. Right, and it, it, just the way that it's been growing, it makes you really think about, you know, 20 years from now, how different it's going to be, you know, 50 yeah. years from now. You know, uh, I was, you know, I used to, at MIT and so on, in the in the in the late '80s, early '90s, I used to uh, talk about how, um, how 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 the internet and connectedness was going to change us, and the nuts, the crazy people like me, who were you know who were shooting the moon in what was possible, uh, were very very uh, very uh, below what really happened. Um, and of course, we're dealing with the consequences of that. I mean, um, I was uh, uh, along with everybody else, but um, I was very naive in thinking that um, the Twitter and Facebook, and I mean, not by those names, of course, or I, I, I would have been one of the founders, but that those kinds of social interactions were going to bring about uh, a kind of like um, perfect democracy. Right. In that the gatekeepers being brought down on news and uh, the fact that uh, you really could communicate kind of directly with uh, with people in the arts and in politics. Um, I thought that was going to yield to some sort of um, um, libertarian utopia or at least uh, shuffle toward that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've now found out that um, uh, that kind of egalitarian no gatekeepers uh, gives us uh, a kind of politics and democracy that, um, well, I don't remember anybody predicting. I mean, I'm sure somebody did. You know, we, we found out that, you know, Skunk Baxter wrote about using airplanes as, uh, as bombs, you know, a year before 9-11. So somebody wrote what Twitter and Facebook, et cetera, we're going to do to politics and social interaction. But um, but uh, it was very, very surprising that, uh, I mean, Trump is, is, is brought about 
by Twitter, uh, it seems as surely as Jefferson was brought about by newspapers. And um, that difference is, is something to think about. Well, we hope you've been enjoying this episode of Residential Tech Talks. We thought we'd take a quick break to acknowledge today's sponsor, which is Reverie. Reverie has the smartest sleep system around. I've personally tried them out at CES two years in a row. Greatest people. It was the only rest that I got was trying out their sleep system. So definitely recommend it from me. Well, until further ado, let's get back to the episode. It's just, it's totally changed the current landscape. And, you, you know, kind of circling back to kind of more on the physical side as well, you know, you, you talked about kind of some of the sound equipment that you have. Um, what really, what home tech do you have that you've been particularly interested in lately? You know, I, uh, uh, because we've been, you know, for really for two years and longer than that, actually, in terms of friendship, uh, before the professional aspect was added. You know, Randy Pitchford and the Gearbox people, um, I, I try very hard uh, to keep up with my children. You know, I remember um, talking with my mom and dad. My, my mom and dad were also, like I am, very old parents. My mom was 45 when I was born. Uh, I was 50 when my daughter was born. And um, um, so my mom and dad had to work very, very hard to um, understand things that I took for granted, you know, uh, I'm not talking about uh, you know programming the remote control. I'm talking about um, the Who. I'm talking about the Stones, up Dylan. You know, um, no sense of what it meant for uh, technology to change art. You know, um, uh, 45 records and LPs and radio. And all that stuff that um, uh, the, the folkways recordings that change, um, that, that create Bob Dylan. You know, uh, the idea that hillbilly music from the 20s was available to uh, a guy from Minnesota who moved to New York City. Um, to understand uh, what electric guitars and mass communication of that kind um, really meant was very, very difficult for them. And um, they had to learn it, and it was never natural. You know, and Mike Nesmith, who is the person I trust the most on um, talking about uh, technology and social kind of mixing together, um, he asked me, when I went to his house a while ago, actually a couple of years ago, he asked me uh, how much video game how much video gaming I did every day. And I told him, well, really none. And he said, you know, uh, nothing is happening in music. There is no rock and roll. Rap and hip hop and electronic don't matter at all. Uh, they are nothing. Um, everything that's happening now is happening in video games. And he said he would not work with anybody who didn't play at least two hours of video games a day. Um, because he said it's exactly rock and roll. He said when you were in... Um, you know, when you were 15, you knew the names of every guy in the Rolling Stones, and your parents did not. And uh, people were running around saying rock and roll was bad, and it was evil, and trying to close it down. And he said, none of that is happening in any music at all. Um, everybody knows who Beyonce is. Nobody cares. 
He said, everything's happening in video games. And he said, your children know the names of video game designers. They know the names of video companies. And they know that you don't know. You know, they know Markiplier. They know all of this stuff going on, and it's natural for them. And uh, he's completely right. I mean, um, you're never going to get me to be able to understand. You know, you have people my age, even younger, I mean, even people 40, um, who say stuff like, have you heard that there's YouTube videos where you can just watch a guy play a game? Right. I mean, what's fucking up with that? <laughs> And that the deep misunderstanding in that sentence, you know, that's kind of like saying, you mean this Lenny Bruce guy's just walking out on stage with a microphone and talking about his wife? <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck is that? <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, there's a guy walking out with an acoustic guitar who's just playing the same four chords over and over again and doing an 11-minute song about Desolation Row. What's that about? You know, right. and so. I'm desperately playing catch-up with my children. I said the other day to my son, uh, and this is probably saying it much better than Mike Nesmith, because my son, his son is younger. My son's 12, so he understands things that we can't possibly understand. And I said to him, you know, um, see, when I was your age, man, I listened to music all the time. I mean, that's all I did was listen to music. And my son said, Dad, that's because they didn't have video games. If they had video games, you wouldn't have listened to music. You would have played video games. Right. And that sounds kind of so flippant and sounds like I'm making fun of my son, except the reason I'm telling you this is that I think he's right, 100% right. And when I watch my children, and forgive me, I just have not found the time because I'm not a child. You know, when I was um, 15, I could listen to Blonde on Blonde, you know, a thousand times. Um, now, with a job and things like that going on, I can't listen to anything a thousand times. And my son can play video games for hours and hours and hours, which, which I can't do. So I, I'm forced to be at this kind of distance. But um, I believe that everything interesting artistically is happening in video games and that I'm a little left out of the party. Uh, as you know, as John Sebastian Loving Spoonful might say, it's like trying to tell a stranger about rock and roll. Right. Um, I, am, I am, by necessity, um, one level removed from uh, what's really happening artistically. And by the way, that's what I love. You know, I used to spend time in the uh, 80s saying, God, I really want a fucking kind of music to come along that I don't understand. Right. I want that feeling my parents had of what the fuck is this, you know? When the Sex Pistols hit in the late 70s, I understood it immediately. There was no, no stretch at all. I listened to the Velvet Underground forever, you know? And uh, all the music that came up in the, uh, in the 80s, you know, Blondie and, uh, and Devo and all of that stuff was really simple for me. And then when Eminem came along, easy, nothing to it. But video games... I can't quite get to, and it's uh, it's a wonderful feeling to have something you don't understand. And all of this that I'm talking about, which seems like art, is always tech. You know, tech and art are always the same. Right. Well, I mean, I know that to you, it, even though like personally, gaming might not be big for you. I did want to talk about Desert Bus a little bit. Yeah. Because uh, well, I actually Desert Bus. Everybody. Well, 
you know, it's not everybody because no one knows about it, but um, it's considered to be that um, Penn and Teller tried to do the most boring, stupid video game ever. Uh, but that was not the case. It was a, a, a political art piece with what Desert Bus was. Uh, Eddie Gordetsky, who, um, who writes the show Mom, created the show Mom and the Big Bang Theory and all of that, uh, uh, Eddie, one of the, one of the experts on, on music around the world, won Emmys on Letterman, Saturday Night Live, you know, everything. Uh, funniest writer alive. Eddie's a good buddy of mine. And um, Eddie and I were listening to Janet Reno, who was attorney general under under uh, Bill Clinton, and she had just you know lit Waco on fire, uh, the Branch Davidians, and those children were dying. And uh, Clinton came out, uh, Bill and and Hillary as well, uh, came out very strongly against video games, very strongly against video games. And then Janet Reno, uh, the attorney general, who had just you know lit fire to a place with children in it. <laughs> she came out and did this speech where she blasted video games and then made a cry out to, um, to video game developers to make games that weren't violent, that prepared people for real life. And Eddie and I were listening to this speech and we said, what the fuck? You know, that's like telling Shakespeare. Don't have just kings and killing each other and shit like that. Have just, you know, people working at a, at a mead shop. Do that, Bill. <laughs> you know, let's not have any, any excitement or art in your plays. Let's just have the boring. And, and he said, you know, what the, what the fuck does she want? What does she want? Uh, preparing people for real life. And then Eddie just kind of spit out the idea full-blown. And I think the first thing he suggested was toll booth operator. We'll just do a game that's just toll booth operator, where cars just come through and you take 25 cents from them. <laughs> and then, uh, after banging it around a little bit, we said, how about Desert Bus? And how about you have to drive from Phoenix to Las Vegas, an eight-hour drive? You have a limiter on the bus that won't let you go over 54. It pulls a little to the right, so if you don't correct it all the time, you go into a ditch. And it's absolutely real time, and absolutely nothing happens, except let's do five hours in, a bus uh, bug hits the windshield. And you can stop, and you can open the door, and you can close the door, but no one gets on. And when you do your full eight-hour shift, you get there, and it gives you one point and ask if you want to drive back. So... <laughs> The point of it was really uh, the strongest fuck you possible to the Clinton administration and the way they had chosen to hate children. Um, awful lot of adults want to find a way to hate children. And I don't really know why, but it's been true as long as we've recorded, um, as long as we have recorded human history. Uh, but you know, whether it's comic books or whether it's rock and roll or whether it's long hair, um, there's always something, and uh, video games have, have taken it on the chin. You know, uh, let's not forget that Hillary Clinton's very first political ad when she ran for president of the United States of America was anti-video games. Mm. Her first ad. Her first ad was fuck you to the children. Um, and uh, so Desert Bus uh, 
you know, Randy Pitchford was in love with Desert Bus, and of course the Desert Bus for Hope guys up in Canada, who uh, raised all the money for video games for children in hospitals, mm. um, was fabulous. And I'm not saying that because they they don't mention Janet Reno that they don't understand it. Uh, they understand it completely. Everybody understands it. But I do think that the backstory of it actually being, but when Eddie and I got the idea that brought Teller in and started to lay it out, we considered it to be a piece of political art. Right. And I, I know that actually it's evolved now into a VR experience. Yeah, yeah, we did a VR. As a matter of fact, Randy Pitchford actually bought a bus so, <laughs> <laughs> so that they could make the details in the VR absolutely perfect. And I believe on the radio in the uh, VR version of Desert Bus, you can hear the Janet Reno speech. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. The only thing playing on the radio was Janet Reno talking about how she hates video games. Oh, that's so cool. Now, you know, I know that um, in the past year, kind of like we were saying, you, you made appearances at E3 and you made appearances at CES. Um, what have you seen that really impressed you at those events? Well, you know, uh, I, 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 I can't skip over the fact that we're talking about tech that um, uh, tech helped save my life. You know, I was uh, wicked crazy fat. I was 110 pounds heavier than I am now as I sit here. And um, my blood pressure was like voltage in the UK. Mm. And um, I, was, I was doing badly. And uh, a friend of mine, Ray Cronice, uh, who's out of NASA, had been working on ways for people to lose weight. And the first words he said to me were uh, by a Withings scale. Um, and Withings, which stands for Wi-Fi things, but is Withings, a French company. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really surprising. You would not think that the... Um, the internet would make jugglers better. You know, if you were talking about things the internet will do back in, you know, early 90s, you would have come up with porn first, and you'd be right. Right. And you would come up with science second, and you would be right. And you would come up with social interaction, and you would be right. But it would take you a long time before you got to juggling. Because juggling seems like it has nothing to do with tech. And yet, the sharing of videos, knowing things are possible, have made it so juggling has improved because of the internet faster than it has in history. Right. Um, mind-blowing. Uh, and you would not think that the internet could help with health and weight control because it just has to do with not fucking eating the American diet, right? How hard is that to do? You just change to a sensible diet. But a scale that is Wi-Fi connected uh, that can do body mass and send it instantly to your doctor. Now, of course, um, 30 years ago, you could weigh yourself and then call your doctor, or you could weigh yourself and then call a friend. You could do that. It was there. It was easy. But you didn't. You just didn't. And the scale doing that makes a difference. I remember uh, when I had my you know, first email address, which is at least Steve Jobs got for me. <laughs> and all you could write to that was, you know, Steve Jobs and, and Bill Gates. <laughs> hey, what'd you have for breakfast, Bill? Um, you know, there was nobody on. Uh, and uh, my internet address was pad at MIT.edu. And um, I remember 
we're telling people, you know, uh, boy, email is amazing. It's fucking great. And everybody said to me, "What? You, you got the phone, man. You got the phone. You pick up the phone. You call. It's voice. So much easier than typing, right? You don't want to write letters. Right. That's hundred year, five hundred year ago technology. The phone is better. And I go, no, no. Email's different. It allows you to time travel. It shifts time." It, uh, it moves things into your heart instead of going through your ears. It starts, it, 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 it's a different thing, man. <laughs> no one believed me until, of course, everybody believed me. Um, uh, and with all this stuff, you know, the, uh, the, the blood pressure cuffs and the uh, watches and the scales and all of that stuff, these things that aren't really the sexy stuff, of technology and they aren't the art stuff of technology it's amazing how much difference uh they make you know and um we're now doing a vr bit in our show we bring someone up on stage and put a um, headset on them and get them into vr and do a do a trick that moves from reality to vr to back and forth while the audience watches and we you know that's all randy pitchford and ask, you know, Brandy's a magician, uh, works as a professional magician. He's not, he's not a dilettante. He's not fucking around. He's a real magician. So um, being able to work with Randy Pitchford on magic stuff that also uses gaming stuff is, is just incredible. So what, what interests me, you know, is uh, this game we did with, uh, with uh, Randy, which I even forget the name of, even though we named it. It's called F-U-U-U-U-U-U. And it's um, uh, frankly unnecessary, unneeded, unkind, and something. But um, we want it to be F U U U and U. And uh, it's all tricks you can play that bleed from VR into reality and black back again. And we're working with Randy on that forever because just doing the mocap and, and getting all the pictures taken and then using those, you know, VR puppets. Um, it's a difficult, long thing, but it's it's so so exciting, and I love looking at the way VR looks now, uh, which is mind blowing and primitive. That combination, like when you look at the kinescopes and the early Malay uh, uh, movies, you know, you have that feeling that boy, this is like so primitive. It looks so shitty, and yet at the time, you know, when they put a train on a movie screen, people ran away, you know, when they did that in the 19th century uh, and uh, turn of the last century. And um, now the VR stuff is just, uh, there's two things happening at once. One is how beautiful and amazing it is, and two is how primitive it is. And as you said, 20 years, but you don't need 20 years, three in three years, technology will be in a place that, uh, that you and I are blown away and that we are unable to predict right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, I did want to get a little bit more into that VR side of your act as well. Um, my, my other question was this FUUU project. Is that the one that you kind of teased at CES earlier this year? Oh, I know yeah, you... yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's and that's, that's coming out this summer? Yeah. All right. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, Definitely looking forward to featuring that a little bit more. Uh, I did want to ask, overall, you know, you spoke about VR. How, what other ways has tech really influenced your act over the years? 
You know, uh, that's the thing about about magic is uh, magicians used to be, you know, a hundred years ago, uh, on the cutting edge of technology, mm-hmm. and magicians aren't any longer. And the reason is very, very simple. The reason is just that technology is so much better um, publicized and so much better communicated by everyone that uh, everybody knows everything. So, you know, the kinds of things you could do with a, um, uh, the kind of things you could do with technology now, like having a computer with an earpiece and being able to get all this information, all of that stuff, which... um, we could think of to use technology for magic. The problem with that is everybody else can think of it too. Uh, everybody knows everything. And that really um, means that when you come to a live uh, magic show, what you want to do most is just lie. Uh, the stuff that fooled people 500 years ago still fools people. And uh, with very few exceptions, and the VR thing is an exception, um, you don't really use technology. As a matter of fact, I'll even take it back. Our VR bit does not use technology. It uses um, VR as a kind of magic wand. But the real trick that we're doing is uh, we're using technology that's 100 years old to make the trick happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, if you're talking about the Penn & Teller show in Vegas and you want to say what technological changes have been made, the answer is going to be, you know, moving lights, (laughs) spotlight, sound technology, and everything else that's in every theater show. And it's not going to be stuff specific to the magic because people have a real sense now of where technology is and what it can do. Uh, Every single person uh, in the world, you know, uh, or in uh, in the developed world, and actually, in the world, I suppose you know every, many many people have uh, have smartphones now. Um, uh, has a pretty good sense of the miracles you can see. So, although you know magicians were important in movies, and important in ether, and important in magnetism, and all sorts of stuff like that, there just ain't any more. Right. Yeah. And. You know, I, I really wanted to just kind of close it out here as well. Um, if you could personally invent one piece of tech uh, for your show, just one piece of tech that you think would just, re- like, really kind of wow the audience, what would that be? You know, um, it's a really hard question for what, you know, for the reasons I just stated. Yeah. Um, I, I think that um, to take back everything I've just said, um, all technology can ever do is, uh, is find a way uh, for human beings to help each other and uh, communicate with each other. So, you know, you're, the difference is with creating rock and roll and creating video games, the difference between, you know, uh, uh, Mario Odyssey mm. and telling a, uh, telling a story around a, uh, a fire, you know, 500,000 years ago. Um, those differences are all in, uh, in the surface and not in the depth. I mean, what my son said about, um, 
if you had video games and then you'd be listening to video games and not you'd be playing video games and not listening to music. Um, is exactly right and profound. Um, what we're trying to do in, in all of art, whether you're talking magic or music or watching someone play video games or a stand-up comic, is you're trying to get a glimpse of another human being's art. And uh, any way we find that brings that closer, brings that better, uh, is what's going to happen. So, you know, I would say um, um, just things that are more beautiful and sound better and make it clearer and make their ways to just um, just, just touch another human being. Because all of this stuff, you know, the most important technology of all time is, of course, speech uh, and then to writing. And all you're doing is refining those two technological advances. Definitely. Hey, really, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Penn. I was really looking forward to this interview and, you know, doing all the research. Uh, I even rewatched that uh, clip um, that you guys were on The Simpsons uh, a couple years ago. I'll always remember that one. Um, Yeah, was really excited to speak with you, so... Yeah, thank, thank you so much. Um, you have some great insights on kind of the world of tech, and uh, yeah, I was really happy to hear that. Well, thanks a lot, man. It was great talking to you. Absolutely. What do you have going uh, the rest of the week? Uh, oh, I believe we have to go to Biloxi, do a show there, so that's that's what I'm preparing for now. Oh, nice. Well, I will uh, let you get to that, and uh, okay. I'll, I'll make sure to send over some copies when this comes out. Right Thank on. Thanks so much. Have a good one, Pat. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you so much for listening to our exclusive conversation with Penn Gillette. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Make sure to subscribe to Residential Tech Talks on whatever platform you use, be it iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, what have you. And check out our official website at restechtoday.com, where we'll eventually be placing the entire conversation with Penn. And also make sure to look us up on social media, be it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube for any additional content. 